When I get to that place, I'm like, you know what? What's here and now in your body in this moment? Because the body doesn't differentiate between real or imagined, nor does it differentiate around time. So if something happened to you and you were two years old, that's always ever present. That's Molly Mitchell Hart, and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Hey guys, I'm Kara Duffy, a business coach and entrepreneur on a mission to help you live your most extraordinary life and make the impact you want by showing you anything is possible. People who have mastered freedom, ease, and success who are living their best and most ridiculous lives and who are changing the world are often people you've never heard of until now. As we look deeper into our modern society and our modern habits don't serve us or align with what we're committed to, a huge, massive void is how we view, approach, appreciate, prepare, support, and honestly, all the things regarding motherhood. Today's guest, Molly Mitchell Hart, has stepped in to repair the journey of motherhood, how it's approached, and most importantly, to support women in their motherhood experience. Whether you are a mother or not, this episode will highlight how much of our life, society, policies, and simply our way of being needs to be looked at again because motherhood literally touches everything. And Molly knows, being a mother herself and a therapist, she has daily exposure to the impact the mother character has on all of us. I look forward to hearing your aha moments. I had so many from this episode, but in the meantime, enjoy our conversation. Well, welcome to the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. I'm very excited to talk to you today. You were referred by Anna, who's on our team, and she has like the coolest people in her circle. So every time she's like, oh, can I recommend someone? I'm like, yes, please, because whomever they are, they're awesome. Um, how do you know Anna? Oh, wow. We go we go back a ways, um, probably a decade now, which is crazy. Um, we met through a mutual friend and then lived together for a short time. And in that time, we were both in such a, um, like, kind of coming of age moment, um, you know, early twenties, um, figuring out like who we are and what we wanted. And we just really bonded in that space and, um, created this sort of foundation for a deep, deep friendship that has evolved so much over time. And, um, you know, she's one of those people who I can connect with, you know, whenever, and we just kind of go really deep. So, yeah. Yeah. She's awesome. Um, Let's tell everyone your name, where you are in the world, and what you're up to. Yeah. Um, so my name is Molly Mitchell Hart. Um, I'm in Venice, California. Um, and I'm, I've always been one who's doing lots of things at once. Um, so my main two uh, areas, I guess three, um, are my uh, private psychotherapy practice. Um, and the sacred journey of motherhood, which is, um, a company that I co-founded with a friend and fellow mama, uh, Becky Whitmore. Um, and it's really about, uh, bringing motherhood back into the sacred container, 
in, you know, many different forms. Um, and I can, you know, talk more about that later. Um, and then, you know, my third big box is family and, um, and motherhood. How yeah. many kids do you have? One. Yeah. He's, How um, old are they? He is turning three in April. Yeah. And I've like Very just nice. now started to like sleep. <laughs> for longer stretches than two hours. So it's very exciting. <laughs> yes. There is a comedian that a friend quoted recently to, to just say over and over again, my son is two and he's cried every day. He's cried every day for two years. <laughs> I didn't know it was possible for someone to cry every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> a lot so, of everything. Oh, yes. And you're probably getting into that really fun place of like all the questions, which I think are like to me, I wish they had more shows about like kids just saying what kids say. Mm -hmm. Like, I think part of what I, why I want to be a mother is just to overhear their conversations and to field their questions because they're enlightening, they're hilarious. And my favorite jokes are about loss in translation, which kids excel at in their young ages it's it's like constant hilarity that's for sure and his his new thing is just asking why to everything and so I'm like wow I'm like really you know like I gotta be on it I'm like why is the sky blue okay good question let me let me dig deep for that we're gonna have to ask uncle google hold on yeah (laughs) yeah exactly well I'd love to start at the beginning of your kind of three-part path of, you know, being a therapist or a psychotherapist, correct? Mm -hmm. So how did you decide that that was a fit for you? And what has that journey been like so far? Hmm. You know, when I really look back, I realize it was sort of a golden thread woven through, you know, the fabric of my whole life. Um, Because I was always so curious about, you know, my own behavior, the behavior of those around me, like the, the why question, you know? Um, and I remember I had like a class in high school on psychology and I was like, huh, okay, there's something, so it sparked something for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of coincided with, um, you know, the first, my first musings in the kind of Eastern philosophy realm. Um, and, and so I, I ended up going, you know, my own kind of journey of um, self-discovery and awakening started in the path of yoga. Um, I did get my undergrad in psychology, but that was actually like a really deadening experience. And I was like, if this is what it is, I don't like it. Um, but it wasn't until I found the, um, the institute that I got my master's at that I was like, okay, this is home. Like I've Mm -hmm. arrived. This is it. Um, and so, yeah, when, you know, when I found Pacifica, it's called Pacifica Graduate Institute. Um, it did feel like a homecoming. Like it was like a Hogwarts of sorts. Mm -hmm. Um, after about 10 years of teaching yoga, I had the sense that I, I really wanted to deepen with people you know, Mm -hmm. to really have a a experience of like greater depth, you know, one-on-one and, you know, in groups, um, but really focusing in on, uh, the deeper layers that like, you know, 
you could feel in the room in a yoga class, but maybe not necessarily, um, you know, it's not so explicit. So uh, it felt like kind of finishing what I had started um, Mm -hmm. as far as where my interests were. Um, Yeah. And, and the second part of the question was like, how is it going? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's so funny. It's, it's definitely a calling. It has been a calling. Um, and so, and so was teaching yoga, but the difference is, is that I think being a therapist for me is a much better fit for my like typology and personality. Um, and I just love what I do. Like I am so grateful every day for what I do. It fills me up and gives me energy and so much purpose and meaning. Um, so I'd say it's going pretty well (laughs) (laughs) overall. Do you have a specialty that you focus in? Yeah. So, uh, I kind of like play in two main realms. Uh, one is sort of the container of depth psychotherapy, which, um, you know, encompasses Jungian psychology and, um, the importance of myth and story, the importance of ritual and, um, you know, the realm of the unconscious and and shadow. Um, and then the, the other big box is the somatic realm. So, really focusing in on trauma resolution and, um, the relationship with the body. And, um, I found without both sort of the narrative and the cognitive and the somatic, um, in, in my own experience of healing, it was just sort of like there was a disconnect and it just wasn't quite complete. So those two elements have really become, um, really, really powerful for me. Oh, what I was going to say about the depth is also the the realm of archetypes. Um, I've always been after like searching for what's underneath everything, you know, like what I've always been sort of seeking what's the deepest truth I can find. Mm-hmm. And um, so for me, where, where I've landed is in the realm of the physiology and in the realms of depth psychology, because it just feels like it's sort of the root system underneath everything. Mm-hmm. I think it's so fascinating how much crossover there is between um, psychotherapy and yoga. And mm-hmm. I first started seeing this alignment when I had a coach who was a therapist left being uh, left practicing so she could be just a coach. Mm-hmm. So she could bring in other modalities, whether it was Reiki or yoga or essential oils or food or something else mm-hmm. like help people have breakthroughs that she couldn't in the licensed space. And then I had another client who created what's called um, the first ever psychotherapeutic yoga teacher training, which mm-hmm. I got to take, which was amazing. And it brings together yoga, um, psychology and neurobiology. Mm-hmm. And because she was a therapist who started partnering with, with yoga teachers to have mm-hmm. breakthroughs with her clients. And she's like, hold on, like there's, there's a clear connection here how do we put all this together mm. so it's it, i think it's so interesting to to then meet you who went from yoga into therapy and like being able to see those two spaces do you ever feel in conflict that you can't um, like that you're in the licensed box like helping people as a therapist totally i mean it's it's definitely 
it's sort of, you know, we're in such an interesting space. I know from my uh, astrologist friends that like, we've been in this big transformation around Capricorn and you can kind of feel it. All the structures are kind of like starting to crumble and just feel so freaking archaic, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I kind of feel that way about the license. Um, Mm -hmm. The flip side of that is that it's also very containing and, um, you know, it has this nice, like, trodden road that you know like okay I take these steps forward and that's that's like comforting Mm -hmm. um and then there's like the credibility part you know but there there's also um the sense of I think you know people coming up like millennials and younger that are just like get me out of these boxes you know (laughs) that don't want to have to like do this kind of thing um so I do I feel that and what I'd say is like we joke, you know, especially my friends who, you know, my colleagues who went to Pacifica as well, because we're all, you know, more in the the realm of like the spiritual and, mm-hmm. you know, connect with the archetypes of like the wounded healer and um, the witch and um, the shaman and, um, you know, these kind of archetypes that we embody and that move through us. Um, and what's kind of nice about being in that psychotherapist box is that I think it's kind of accessible for people. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, I think I know what I'm doing and getting, you know? And then like we joke, we're like, you know, (laughs) in there and we're like, little do they know, you know, like there's (laughs) this really deep process going on that, um, you know, that they're welcome into. And Mm -hmm. like, if they're not quite ready to feel the full depth and breadth of it, that's okay too. Like we can, mm-hmm. we can operate in that like psychotherapist and client space and, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's enough too. I, I make the same joke about when new coaching business clients come to me because they'll come and oh, everyone call the people call you and they call me cause they have a problem. <laughs> the problem is always the symptom, not the issue. Right. So I always find it so entertaining, the same thing of like, whatever they show up with, I'm like, that's cute. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'll put it, I'll put it down. We'll fix that. But I know that there's like 15 layers below that, that we really got to fix. Otherwise the rest isn't going to work. <laughs> totally. And so I, I, I find that amusing. Like it's a game I get to play with myself almost like, mm-hmm. here's what I bet the problem is. We'll go figure it out. And I, I give myself extra credit when I get it right. <laughs> it's fun to be able to predict it. Totally. Um, I'd love to take a moment and pause and explain a little bit more about those archetypes because I don't think mm-hmm. everyone listening has heard of archetypes in that capacity. They might have heard mm-hmm. in it, heard about it from like a brand archetype or more mm-hmm. of a uh, marketing space of like, who are you? But the ones that you mentioned, I don't think everyone's quite as familiar with. Mm-hmm. Would you mind explaining some of those and how they um, how they allow you to go deeper and learn? Yeah, yeah. So Mm. Okay. So we're kind of in the realm of thinking about consciousness, you know? And Mm -hmm. so there's like, you know, consciousness, the part of us that's aware, you know, and that's more often than not, um, the part that we identify as like me. So that's like Mm -hmm. ego. And then underneath that, there's the unconscious. And so, you know, the kind of classic illustration of that is the iceberg. And, you know, Mm -hmm. you just, the consciousness is like the tip of the iceberg and, the whole unconscious is what's underneath the water, you know, all that mass that you don't see. Um, And then 90%. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, 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 definitely. And then underneath that, there's the realm of the collective unconscious. And so the collective unconscious is like um, the psychological and human inheritance from time immemorial, you know? So I really like the idea um, that originated with Jung, which is within us, uh, within us all, the two, two million year old man or woman um, or person. Um, and just this idea that we have this, like that idea that we come in as blank slates kind of gets like slashed and burned when we really <laughs> think about, you know, this collective unconscious uh, aspect that we all have the capacity to tap into. Mm-hmm. Um, how, uh, how does that align with um, like genetic consciousness or, you know, some of the, some of the things that we're starting to see r- research done on like family traumas and, mm-hmm. you know, traumas that you've inherited? Is that, is that separate yeah. or is that aligned with that um, subconscious element? Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, I kind of see, you know, I see these like layers, you know, where mm-hmm. I think our, the, the, the bag that we're really dealing with in our own personal psyche is influenced by so many different things. And one is the collective, right? Mm-hmm. So like our, our inheritance as a human species, you know, mm-hmm. um, so that's that two million year old person. Um, and then there's, you know, our family of origin and our own, you know, origin story. And then there's the epigenetics, which goes at least three generations back they found. And, um, well, three generations back of like, you know, if you've experienced trauma, then, you know, Mm -hmm. that's still being lived out three generations. Um, and I would argue it's like so much more because the ripple effect is massive. Um, so, you know, does that go into the unconscious? Of course, right? Because it's anything that we're not um, consciously relating to. Um, and more often than not, that trauma is, you know, we're born into a family system that might have trauma, you know, embedded in it. Mm-hmm. And um, often that lives in the family's unconscious, you know, and gets enacted in certain and different ways. Um, but I think we're also impacted. So that's like the lineage, right? And then we're also impacted by past lives. And that's more like of a soul contract, you know, so that's less on the like genetic level and more on the soul level. And so I kind of like, in a way, you know, it's like interesting, but then I'm like, you know what, in a way, none of it really matters. (laughs) In a way, I'm, when I get to that place, I'm like, you know what, what's here and now in your body in this moment? you know, because the body doesn't differentiate between real or imagined, nor does it differentiate around time. Mm -hmm. So if something happened to you and you were two years old, and especially if it was like an actual traumatic event that your body's holding onto, like that's always ever present, Mm -hmm. especially if it's in the the field of uh, relationship, you know, like if you sit down with a therapist that's, you know, you know, does somatic work. It's like when you kind of constellate that in the room, that's going to be up in the relationship, you know, in whatever form. So it's like, okay, so what's here? Mm-hmm. Um, so to, to summarize it, right, we, we've got the human experience that's millions of years old. 
We have our family lineage, which generationally tied. We have past lives and then whatever we've dealt with in our own life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's like a lot, you know, and I, <laughs> and I think like, you know, it's interesting. I, we like, whenever there's a, you get a client that you're like, wow, we're really meant to work together. We always call it like a cosmic referral. And, um, I often get clients who are wired really sensitively. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think in in the world that we live in, um, and, you know, there's so much more awareness around that now. There's like the highly sensitive person test that you can take and like all the steps to like really honor the different types of nervous systems that are out there. Um, but our world is not wired for the highly sensitive. Um, and there are such gifts of the highly sensitive, but I think more often than not, highly sensitive people grow up feeling very misunderstood, very ostracized, very sort of, um, other. Mm-hmm. So, um, I get a lot of people like that in, in my practice. Um, and I think, uh, that's partially because people who are highly sensitive and, and maybe don't know that, or don't, you know, aren't met with that type of understanding in their world suffer quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. So then circling back to the original question of archetypes. Yeah. What what are the arch- archetypes and which layer do they <clears throat> excuse me kind of fit into? Mhm. So they live in the collective unconscious. Like that's mm-hmm. their realm. Um and they're in the, in their dimension. And so archetypes are like patterns and energies that um kind of constellate together that become identifiable. And Mm -hmm. if you look cross-culturally throughout time, you know, you have these gods and goddesses and these um, cultures that have, you know, a pantheon of gods and goddesses that kind of typologically are very similar, right? Mm -hmm. But they're in these different, you know, um, they have different cultural roots. And so that kind of just points to um, that we're kind of sw- all swimming in the same matrix. And, you know, this is obviously way before the internet and, you know, <laughs> any sort of cross-continental global communication um, on the level that it is today. Uh, so the idea is that like these energies are already within us. And so when you kind of feel into the reality of the archetypes, you can see them everywhere. So Let's see if I can give some examples. Like, what? Okay, so it's kind of complex because it's like, you know, it's gods and goddesses, but it's also Mm -hmm. like, mm, you like even, like, even like a narcissist or like a narcissistic personality, that's an archetype, you know? Mm -hmm. And and oftentimes that archetype, you can then find the the lineage and storyline and myth that, you know, precedes it, but, um, or holds it. Would it make sense to like think about, you know, there's the Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey mm-hmm. and in storytelling, there's always like the villains and the heroes. Mm-hmm. And does it, you know, for people listening who are hearing this all for the first time, like, is it safe to say that these archetypes are like the recurring characters that keep showing up? Like yeah. you mentioned the gods and goddesses, like Mars and Apollo, there's like a mm-hmm. warrior person. And then there's like the guide person and there's the healer. Like, would mm-hmm. that, 
Is that a yes. kind of yes. super Thank you. Thank you for landing me there. That's exactly <laughs> right. It is. It's like these characters that show up kind of everywhere, right? And uh, I think Joseph Campbell was a really great um, sort of uh, torch bearer of this, this idea that brought it really to the masses um, in a time where we probably really needed it. Um, yes. It is the characters that keep showing up. And so the, the important piece to remember is that within all these stories, all the characters are both within us and outside of us. So it's like that idea of as above, so below, as within, so without. So, mm-hmm. you know, the healer and the warrior and the uh, witch and the, you know, all these characters are inside of us. And mm-hmm. it depends on, you know, we might not have a very conscious relationship with our inner warrior. And, you know, that might be a place to kind of, Mm-hmm. breathe some life into if you find yourself like unable to say no or um unable to speak up for yourself or unable to like get a project off the ground or you know those types of things mm-hmm. um but you know and then obviously right we see it going on outside of us like the the you can kind of see the the storyline living you know even even um a you know, the plague, that's its own archetype, you know, um, it's in stories throughout time. So, so my, if I go back to school to get a PhD, it's probably going to be either in two places. One would be in archaeology because mm-hmm. I, a- anthropology, like I love all of that. The, exactly what you said of like the recurring themes and patterns and connections between cultures and the why I find fascinating. Mm-hmm. And the other one would be about why certain people succeed and others don't, which I actually mm. think is the same question. Just one's about people and the other's about <laughs> cultures. And there's so many examples and you highlighted it um, briefly when you are sharing before about there's so many moments in time when <clears throat> the exact same thing happened at the same time Mm -hmm. and that's where the entire ancient aliens Mm -hmm. um you know show on history channel has some persuasive arguments because like well how else did it happen like people weren't (laughs) talking there wasn't internet there wasn't phones they didn't have boats as far as we know so it must have been Mm -hmm. an outside force that caused all of us to make the same piece of art or the same Mm -hmm. cultural jump um but then we have all this other proof of the shared consciousness of things like birds. Mm-hmm. Um, like my favorite example is the birds that were studied in the UK who all learned how to open the milk bottle tops at the same time. Mm. And it happened so quickly. It couldn't have been like one watching the other. There was something else going on. So how, you know, we talk often about how much of our brain we don't use mm-hmm. and how much of our, our DNA we don't understand you know, this whole space of like what's left over, like all this power that we have and this knowledge that we have that like we literally do nothing with. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's like having a Ferrari that we just drive five miles an hour and we only drive from like our house to like one block away. (laughs) Like how, how exciting is it for you to like tap into that with people and like get people to realize that there's so much more Mm -hmm. than they're aware of? Man, I mean, that's, that's why I love doing this work. Um, because, you know, when you, when you talk about that, it's like, not only is there this unbelievable potential that, um, you know, 
we have to tap into. But there's also a, an unbelievable capacity for destruction. Yeah. Um, and that's when these sort of um, destructive shadow qualities are deeply repressed and suppressed. And then they kind of come out the back door and the side doors, you know, um, mm -hmm. through these sort of um, shadowy behaviors um, mm -hmm. that if we if we kind of had conscious relationship with those things and really those things do want, um, they really just want to be loved and understood and be, be told like, it's actually okay. It's actually yeah. normal that you feel that way, you know, or, yeah. um, there's nothing wrong with you, you know? Um, so, you know, I think there's the, there's the part of potential and then there's this part of like deep, 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 self-acceptance that's also really exciting to me um but yes like you know in that shadow realm we also kind of put back there you know any really positive quality that um we were told implicitly or explicitly wasn't okay you know mm -hmm. so um i know growing up like like i used to get um i kind of used to get it about being bossy most and girls did. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And so then if that if that goes into the shadow, if I say, okay, that's a part of me that like cannot come out, what goes with it? You know, mm -hmm. um, my voice, my power, you know, my my ability to lead, um, you know, uh so yeah, when we when we really talk about like uncovering those things, they come up with a lot of energy too. It's like, oh my God, this energy that I didn't know I even had, I have conscious access to again. And um, and that's really exciting. Cause ultimately, you know, um I'm really interested in like, yes, there's sort of like if you're having an acute mental illness, kind of getting to a baseline level of like functionality and then from there there's that level of like fully you know full expansion into you know what i would say is really like following your soul's path mm -hmm. yeah there's so much junk to move out of the way before yeah. we can have that freedom um it's you know whenever people are like oh i'm so tired and so drained and i'm like yeah i can only imagine what powerful force inside of you you're trying to like keep contained yeah because that's mm -hmm. exhausting it's like yeah. you know it'd be like you trying to keep your three-year-old still and quiet mm -hmm. like that's that's exhausting <laughs> just yes. thinking about probably yeah. um <clears throat> so you have this you know fascinating work you're doing in as in therapy and getting to work with I love these soul referrals. I think I'm going to borrow that for my <laughs> own business too. Because there are people that you just meet and you're like, of course, we're supposed to work together. Um, and then you make this transition into this sacred motherhood space. Mm -hmm. Were you like, did you see that transition coming before you were a mother? Or is it really something that like got pushed through because of your own motherhood journey? Yes. Um, I think it was like this confluence of things where um, I was in grad school at the time when I got pregnant. Um, our pregnancy was, you know, it was sort of like, we're, we're going to, we're not going to not try, <laughs> you know? Um, 
but we're not really trying. And then it just like happened and we're like, whoa, okay. So now we're like orienting <laughs> to this reality. Um, and so I, I was really like walking through each moment and each like uh, shift along the way with such sort of curiosity and, um, you know, I was just kind of like studying it, like a case study. <laughs> um, and learning a lot, like researching a lot. And um, so it really was the experience of, you know, becoming pregnant and becoming a mother that really opened me to this world of, you know, the archetype of the mother, you know, one of the biggest, most important archetypes out there um, that was kind of constellating and moving through me that, um, brought with it so many gifts and so much energy. And a lot of that energy went toward my own awakening around a lot around motherhood. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, it's like, I think one of the biggest initiatory events you can have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also looking around and, and feeling like I wanted to share it so deeply. And so um, like shouting it from the rooftops um, because I could see, I feel like, you know, I've got this like Libra in my chart and it's like this part of me that's always looking for justice and Mm -hmm. kind of looking at what's out of whack in the world and, you know, going into that field of motherhood and birth culture um, got me in touch with like an, an immense amount of grief that around, you know, I know for my lineage, I don't know how far back I'd have to go to find sort of like a land-based unbroken kind of motherhood wisdom that comes down the line. All I know is that that definitely got broken in my lineage. And I, um, you know, so, so it, it leaves you having to sort of reinvent the wheel. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like that's what I was doing. You know, I was like, okay, so I guess I am figuring out what everything means now, you know, and, and, you know, what, what all this is to me. Um, cause I don't have the models, you know? Um, and there's so many components to that of, yeah, it's so big. (laughs) It's so big. It's, it's a primary archetype for a reason, right? Cause it's, it's, you, it's, there's so many layers to to motherhood. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like how our current society relates to and positions motherhood in our common culture that it hurts the the sacred space of what motherhood is? Absolutely. I mean I would say that sacred journey, the sacred journey of motherhood is a response to that. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, because I was sort of orienting as it was happening, like I wasn't ready, you know, like I didn't know a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have a lot of information. I wasn't steeping in like a community and culture of like, oh yeah, we know what mamas need. And, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I didn't have that. And so, um, I really had to scramble a little bit. So I, it's almost like I went right into the conveyor belt model of like, 
what you're supposed to do. And as soon as I did, I was like, like, this feels so off and wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like, it feels like I'm in this sterile, well-lit, you know, scary place when I feel like I should be in a red tent with other mamas who are like, you know, there's oils and you know what I mean? Like wisdoms being shared and birth stories and all of this stuff that I was like, okay, okay. Now I feel like my feet are on the ground. Like, and I was just like hunting, you know, I'm like, (laughs) I am going to hunt down the, the, you know, the wise ones that I am needing, you know? Mm -hmm. And I found that through lots of books and um, people who have laid so much beautiful groundwork. I mean, I, I feel I have chills. It's like, I'm just thinking about all the women who came before me, who, um, are trying to piece back that lineage that got broken, you know, Mm -hmm. um, with basically, you know, the industrial age, (laughs) um, and, and modernization. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a realm I think where you can see how damaged the relationship with the feminine has become more more starkly than anything else. Um, And these practices that are so kind of outmoded and outdated that are really slowly starting to change, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but I just started to feel like an urgency, a deep urgency and a divine rage around um, what I was experiencing and seeing and hearing, um, you know, where most of us relate to birth through the lens of Hollywood and the mm-hmm. media, which is that birth is an emergency and that somebody else delivers your baby. And that, you know, you, as soon as you, you know, start having contractions, you need to rush yourself to the hospital and, you know, hand yourself over to somebody else to take care of you, you know? Yeah. You're incapable of figuring this out. Yes. And so it brings me back to the 2 million year old person, you know, it's like there is a 2 million year old woman inside of you that has been birthing for 2 million years by herself, by herself. (laughs) Like, and well, you know, and really in, in, you know, deep support of women, Mm -hmm. of other women who have done it, you know, who have done it multiple times, who probably, you know, birthed their I mean, helped their daughters and their granddaughters and, you know, so it's like so steeped. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, for me, I experienced a lot of grief around that, um, that disconnect. And then, you know, it's so isolating today. Mm -hmm. It's so isolating. It's, you know, when you think about maybe since like the post-World War II to today, like what motherhood looks like, it's this space where once you're in that space, like you can't do all these other things anymore. And then not only can you not do, you know, career or contribution based things, you also can't lift anything. You can't eat certain foods. You have to stay over here. You have to be sterile. Like it's almost very similar to the, you know, um, period shaming that Mm -hmm. exists in other places. And it's so crazy to, you know, not only does then tie into the lack of maternity care and support mm-hmm. of all of that at a, at a social society level. But as we, we talked about earlier, like there's so many layers to how once you're a mother, how your life shifts yeah. and you're not in control anymore. <laughs> and it's not because of the baby. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it, you, yeah, oh, go ahead. 
Well, it, it, there's so many layers to that too, because part of the, you know, broken lineage is that we don't live in community and in, you know, a village type of formation anymore. And, um, you know, that is so deeply isolating, especially in the early, you know, postpartum time, but also throughout, you know, that, um, our physiology is wired to live in a village. Mm -hmm. That's like the 2 million year old piece. And so now we're in this modern time and our physiology is like, how do I be a whole village? I'm one person. And that's what we're trying to do as mothers is we're trying to be a whole village for our family and our children. And we are all, I think I can say that, that we are all um, stretched really thin. And, And probably a lot of us are thinking like, I'm not cut out for this. I'm doing something wrong. Like I, I'm not enough. I'm not a good enough mother, you know, like, because we are, we're, we're charged with being a whole village. You know, there would be multiple women breastfeeding your child. And now it's like, no, you are the only one. And you are the one who's up with this, you know, baby every night, you know, until they figure out how to sleep. And, you know, um, And then we have to sort of uh, make these sacrifices where it's like, okay, well, this is what modern day motherhood is. It's like, you know, instead of sort of adapting to the physiology of being human, we're trying to like smoosh human physiology into this like modern day container of, you know, uh, the clock and productivity and efficiency and all of this stuff that um, doesn't like that our physiology doesn't give a fuck about. (laughs) Yeah, you know? a separate and independent and the lone wolf approach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you, you just gave me an aha moment for that. I'm going to take back to, to my client sessions because I spend so much time telling people it's okay to stay in their zone of genius. And now mm-hmm. I know why, because they're trying to be a village, right? You just gave me that nugget. And then I go back and we have to build their team, which is their village. Like make yes. it all make sense. And yes. Because we think we have to be the village and then it opens up into the whole space of, well, if somebody else is doing it, then why should I do it? Like it's already, it's already being done. And it's like, mm-hmm. whatever you want to do, the world is broken. We need you to do it. <laughs> yes. And just like having a business, I mean, you know, there's so many parallels between having a business or a creative mm-hmm. project and being a mother, which, you know, I think we do have this mentality that like we're supposed to do it all. And if we're not Mm -hmm. doing it all, then we're failing in some way. And the reality is like, yes, yes, yes. And I mean, we've gotten that passed down. Like I I have no countless people who tell me, you know, well, you know, my mom never had help or like my mom was working and, you know, and so there's this like guilt factor of like, how could I, you know, um, I should be like a completely 100% self-sacrificing being and, you know, just let myself shrivel up in, in the face of life. Um, and I think in a way we're, we're charged with reclaiming our, our, you know, our space here, you know, like mm-hmm. as mothers, cause I think the, the voice of mothers is more often not than not pretty invisible. Um, and uh, not often heard or seen or centered. Um, well, it makes and, me think, yeah. you know, we, we all panicked. Well, those of us who watched it, anyone who wa- read or watched The ha- Handmaiden's Tale, all women were like, <gasps> like petrified because it seems so 
so close to being a possibility. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to your point of what you just listed, how often are we already putting ourselves in that situation without somebody else forcing us to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So since, so you have this calling because you had your own experience where the conveyor belt was not going to cut mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. What encouraged you to go from doing your own research to I have to share this and guide other people back into this sacral, connected, mm-hmm. stronger female space, mm-hmm. yeah. motherhood space? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like with really anything that I've done, it comes from this really for myself first, you know, it's like, I have some big awakening around something and then I see like what's going on in the world. And I'm like, if, if I, a have an awakening around it, but then feel so much more powerful and like, I have more choice and agency and, um, like, yeah, like just a sense of empowerment. Like, you know, I get to make these choices, then um, I want that for other people. <laughs> I want other people to feel that way, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I hear, you know, you just hear so many horror stories of, of things that happen. And um, these normalized um, abuses, really, I mean, I know that's a really big word, but these normalized abuses that happen in you know, in these contexts, you know, whether it's, it it doesn't really matter whether it's in a hospital or not, but I have heard a lot of really horrible stories of, you know, things that happen in the hospital, um, to women, but really it's like, it's not even just that it's, it's the whole kind of like, (laughs) I was going to say like, it's like the paternalistic care model that like you need to hand yourself over to somebody else. Um, and that somebody else needs to deliver your baby when in reality and in truth, you are the only one who is delivering your baby. Maybe save if you're, if you're, you know, have an emergency and you need to have a Mm C-section, but you know, that is your birthright, you know, is to, to, um, have your own kind of experience and agency in that in that realm of birth. Um, so yeah, I mean, it started with, with me and just all these ahas and, and learning and digging and, and then really deeply wanting to be an agent of change in the, mm-hmm. the motherhood and birthing world. And, and I thought, you know, if, if I'm so deeply needing this and craving it, then surely other people are too. You know, mm-hmm. surely other people will resonate with um, wanting to connect back to like our our roots, you know, really mm-hmm. as women and and our birthright as human beings, you know, um, that in our modern day, it's just like, it's like, we just can't see through it. It's so hard to see through the conditioning and the, the hypnosis, you know, and so I just want to like take that sword and, you know, slash through the, the trance and, and get, get to the, the deep wisdom and, um, trust in our bodies and not only trust in our bodies, but, um, like reverence and honor of these bodies, you know, and like Mm -hmm. get out of this ridiculous mentality of like 
how quickly you can bounce back and basically how quickly you can appear as though in every way, not just physically, but also in your life that you did not just go through like the most massive transformation ever, you know, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, you know, financially, career wise. It's like, let's pretend that didn't happen. Okay. Like moving (laughs) on, I'm doing so well, you know, this is my new accessory. It's called a baby. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's like, I, I had the pleasure of living in Europe and working living in Europe for a while. And they are light years ahead of the US in mm-hmm. just giving what I would consider basic fundamental functionality to mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, they are also working, Europe as a whole is also working on coming back to sacred motherhood spaces. Mm-hmm. But I just don't understand why. In the U.S., we think that when we are a human cow, that we have the capacity or should need to have the capacity to do anything else. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you know, some people, I, every journey is so different, right? So, like, I, I'll work with clients about what their maternity plans look like. And I'm like, well, we know we can't plan it, but we can mm-hmm. come up with A, B, and C options, and we'll keep throwing them out as they work or don't work mm-hmm. because you don't know. Like yeah. I've had friends who have had kids and they are the people who are like, I'm so bored. Give me something to do. Like, mm-hmm. please. And I have others who are like stuck in a cocoon and need mm-hmm. that space for a year or more. Mm-hmm. So it's it's so hard to predict. And everyone, I think, should have access and right to their path with that. Yeah. Um, but I just don't get like how, like six weeks is ridiculous. It's just like, I don't even, I, it's just really sad. (laughs) Yeah. Especially when you know, as a therapist, how many foundational things happen zero to one, zero to three, zero to five. And you're like, if we can fix this part, like we can let moms be moms. Mm Mm-hmm let alone dads, like I'm not even going to worry about throwing them into the picture yet, but like just moms, if just moms can be focused on that for one year, three years, five years, what don't we have to deal with and clean up again later? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's some crazy statistic that is something like, um, I can't remember exactly what it is, but basically it's like this exorbitant amount of suicide you know, happens in the first year for women postpartum. And I'm like, yes, that makes perfect sense (laughs) based off of the conditions that we're expected to like certain, we're not thriving. We're just, we're surviving. Like that's what we're doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then throw a pandemic on top of it and, you know, we're really cooking, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, the thing is too, though, it's like, it brings me back to that our whole system, like, I feel like it wouldn't even be a big enough change to give women the maternity leave that they so desperately need, which I think is at least a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's, it's like reorienting the whole way that we think and recognize that our, our future is dependent on the beings that these mothers are bringing through. Mm-hmm. And 
and their relationship with their mothers and their families. Um, and that if we're not giving them the best chance, then we're not giving the whole collective the best chance of a future. Um, and I think that's probably more important now than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just feels like our, yeah, our system to me just feels so archaic, you know, and, um, you know, what would it be like to live in a culture that was actually, uh, mother centered mm-hmm. and would, and recognize the invisible psychological load and, um, the, the unpaid work of mothers that adds yeah. up to at least like three full-time jobs, you know, then on top of having a job for, yeah, for there, many of us. Well, you know, the, in any financial class you take, like when you're talking about family finances and literacy, any smart person will tell you that you need to have life insurance as a mother. Mm-hmm. And it's because of how expensive you are to replace. <laughs> because you're That's so great. You're doing daycare for mm-hmm. who knows how many kids based on how many you have. So times that by, by your kids, number of kids. You're doing all the errands. You're cooking. And so all food goes through mm-hmm. you. All cleaning is most likely going through you. You're being this the chief chief family officer organizing mm-hmm. schedules and carpool and homework assignments and volunteering and like all the things. So yeah. to replace a mother is actually something crazy like 10 times the income capacity than to replace a father who has a corporate job. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. That's such a great illustration of, yes, the unpaid work of Mm -hmm. of mothering that's that is um uh so taken for granted it's like we don't even you know it's like yeah and 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 that's what's so interesting about about this sort of like post-feminism space is like um i feel like we're in this really interesting place where culturally we almost like look down on being a stay-at-home mom Mm -hmm. you know because we're supposed to be blah 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 and and I hope we can move into this space kind of like what you said of like, we, we all have different archetypes that live through us. And some of us are um, more like using all the agency we have in the world really deeply um, feel fulfilled by the, the job of mother. And some are a little bit more oriented towards that, you know, outer expression um, that more like Athena and Artemis expression of the mm-hmm. feminine and neither are wrong, you know, and both are so valid, but, uh, we just don't value these things the same in our culture, you know? No. It and, is. and, and it's, sometimes it's like women on women is, is the oh. worst. It's like the, the yeah. judgment. Well, and it's because people who aren't women have told us that one is useless and weak and the other isn't Mm -hmm. yeah and it's it's really it's it's i think i have so many friends of mine who when they became moms had to go through an entire like breastfeeding is it it, one where people often have guilt Mm -hmm. and you know one of my best friends in college was like this sucks i hate it Mm -hmm. i know that you know i'm 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 having to say no to all these benefits for my kid but like if Mm -hmm. i keep doing it i will literally lose my mind yeah. And to your point, that's why they had uh, like wet nurses and other mm-hmm. people who could have provided that service 
aunties and you know yeah yeah Yeah. so I, i there's i think it's such an interesting time of looking at what you know where the power for the feminine exists Mm-hmm. And how we can allow anyone to access whatever part of it they need. Mm-hmm. And how we can, to your point of just how do we acknowledge the fact that this is a huge part of society that mm-hmm. um, we make look really like cute and hallmarky. <laughs> yeah. And it's so much more, it's so much more powerful and harder and critical than, than we, we classify mm-hmm. it as. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I so, think we make everything look pretty cute and hallmarky. And, you know, I feel like that's why I love the lens of depth psychology is because I can see right through it into the like root system and into the soil where things have been composting for generations, you know, and, yeah. you know, re, you know, giving nutrients to the, to the, you know, root systems. But, um, yes, motherhood is definitely one of these things and, you know, gets lifted up on all the social medias that, you know, this, you know, everything has to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And, and it's just this sort of crushing sense of like, I can never be enough. Yeah. And, um, I'm happy to see shifts moving away from the perfectionist kind of play in in some spaces especially in social media not enough yet but it's like when can we just talk about what it is mm-hmm. you know and even when we go l- look at the lens of motherhood more expanded pre you know feminist movement like we we forgot that if women are going to not be at home who's going to do all that work like mm-hmm. who's going to be daycare who's going to be transportation who's going to be elderly care Mm-hmm. And we look at, you know, if, if this is a personal perspective, but when I am evaluating the success we're doing and taking care of each other as a country, mm. all the areas where we are blowing it right now are the ones that we did good at before because mm. there is a, a mom or a wife or there was a mm. feminine person mm-hmm. taking care of it. And we forgot about that to-do list mm-hmm. <laughs> as a culture when yeah. we were like, yeah, sure. Go to work. Mm-hmm. Isn't do the other stuff. I don't know. It just, yeah. it just kind of like, it, it sort of exemplifies our values as a culture. But, you can, yeah. you can see it so clearly, you know, like, mm-hmm. yes, our culture does not care about mothers, um, no. a little bit about children, but not really. And definitely not el- elders. <laughs> no. And, 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 you know, and the, the best, there's two things that trigger me a lot when it comes time for any political process in this country. One is when people say that they're for family values and they don't talk about motherhood, maternity leave, daycare, education, like none of the Mm -hmm. things that a family actually needs to function, even like time off, vacation Mm -hmm. time, healthcare. And the other is when they, um, you know, people use the term that we're Mm pro-life and I'm like, no, you're not (laughs) like, you are you going to commit the millions of dollars it takes to bring a healthy human into the world for the next 18 years and most of the time they aren't and i just wish we would use like be that like Mm -hmm. being the phrase pro-life taken out of the abortion conversation Mm -hmm. 
everyone should be pro-life. Like being pro-life <laughs> is great. <laughs> like we want people to live and be vibrant and like, right. we, you know, we're, it's right. It's, like, what does that actually mean? Yeah. yeah. And it's, and our culture actually isn't <laughs> like, it's, it's no. not, well, no. at least it's not pro, it's not pro, it's not pro thriving, <laughs> you know, it's like, it, it, yeah, it's like, it's, um, you know, it, prove it. Yeah, 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 that's really well put. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You want it, work for it. You want it, prove it. And it's like, yeah. mm, to your point, when we were in a village system, if I had, if I had extra food, I'm not going to watch you starve living in the hut next to me. I'm just going to share it. Yeah. This yeah. is. And it's, it's really, you know, because I've thought a lot about sort of this idea of revillaging and it feels mm-hmm. like um, there's a lot of layers to kind of weed through there. And, and one is the sort of fierce fierce individualism that, um, I know in my culture is very much, you know, lifted up and put on a pedestal. Um, and you know, then there's like, uh, you know, decolonizing our psyches and our beings, um, you know, but our system is set up that it's like, there's no more bandwidth Mm -mm. for us to help our neighbor. You know, it's yeah. like, I've exhausted all of my resources just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like supposed to show up for something or like somebody else right now. Like I don't even have the the money, the yeah. time, the energy, you know, to, to do that. Whereas, you know, I know there's, there's been all these really beautiful, um, you know, uh, like you said, Europe is just so far ahead of us in so many ways. Um, but you know, in, in sort of the Northern European realm, um, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they're always doing, doing something that's, uh, inspiring. Um, but you know, these communal living kind of Mm -hmm. spaces, um, like the daycare at the elderly center so mm -hmm. they can interact together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember I saw this documentary where it's like, she was, this woman was a single mom and it was sort of like a communal living, you know, they have their own space, but then there's like a kind of, you know, everybody cooks in a similar, same place that you can also have anyway. And it's like the, the level of well being is just so, Mm -hmm. um, so much more, um, than, than what you get when you're trying to be a fierce individual, you know, it's like, (sighs) yes, it's just, it's just like, it always brings me back to the physiology, you know, Mm -hmm. like we are wired to operate optimally in Mm -hmm. a certain way. And if we're not living our lives that way, we are not going to be operating optimally, period. We have the, um, we always know that it's not in alignment. Like we, you, even if we bury it, you're feeling like, oh, yeah. like why there's no flow in this process. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, even, even looking at it from a com- like a, a community development, like community planning perspective, mm-hmm. the well being of people who have walkability mm-hmm. versus people who are in suburbs that you have to have a car, like mm-hmm. just that shift that. Yeah. Anytime that we're not able to um, easily interact with people and and do what we need to do, and every time that we make life a little bit harder <laughs> for mm-hmm. ourselves, we feel it in ways that we don't measure often. And mm-hmm. I think the only one of the the few 
positives of of being in lockdown with the pandemic was that everyone stopped commuting. Mm. And you're, the length of your commute is one of the biggest indicators of how happy you are and mm. satisfied you are in life. Shorter yeah. commuters, the better, right? And yeah. it, I'm yeah. sure that you've been watching all the stats of how many mothers had to choose Mm-hmm. to give up their career to because of the the ripple effect of the pandemic because mm-hmm. all those jobs that they've been outsourcing couldn't get outsourced anymore mm-hmm. yeah it's 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 pretty incredible um and i mean i i'm so aware of at least to the degree that i can be aware of my privilege and um for me the pandemic allowed me to not commute and work from home, which, mm-hmm. you know, was an incredible blessing mm-hmm. because before, you know, pre, pre-pandemic, um, and this is just my experience, but I think a lot of women can relate, which like, I, I'm very lucky that I've had, a, I've been self-employed for a really long time. So I, my whole goal was like never to be part of the matrix. I'm like, I just, it's can't like yeah. we're talking about not in alignment. Like I, I kind of mm-hmm. tried and I was like, yeah, I just can't. Um, and, but I would even go, you know, to see a client or, or whatever it was. And I'd be gone for, it would be like two, this was like, you know, postpartum. I was probably like mm, under, under eight months postpartum. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would a start, my breast would start to swell so much and I would start to be painful. And I would, it's like, I couldn't stop thinking about my son. I would just, mm-hmm. and I would start feeling really sad and I'm like, I need to get home. And it was after like three hours was pushing it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I had like really like a three hour window to be away and, and like survive, you know, emotionally. And, uh, beyond that, I'm like, I have to be with my son. And it's like, I know that that was biological, you know? And so how much of our biology and physiology are we having to override in order to live in a modern world, you know? And I, I feel really, it's interesting. Like I was, I was like, if I make it breastfeeding past six months, like I'm going to be so stoked. It has been three years, (laughs) almost three years. And we're still nursing. And, you know, I say that, um, both in a, in a, like, I'm like, Oh my God, but also (laughs) it's amazing. And I wouldn't, I honestly, it would not have, it would not be this way had the pandemic not happened. Mm -hmm. And I'm really grateful for the nursing piece and, you know, um, for, for so many different reasons, but definitely one for his health and well being, and, you know, Mm -hmm. immunity and all of that stuff. Um, yeah. So, so what is the, what is the structure of how you ha- help people? Like, are you offer? Do you have a membership? Do you have courses? How can women who are like, I need you, I need this sacral um, motherhood space. Like, how? What does it look like to be yeah. a part of that with you? Yeah. Um. So we kind of uh, we have different sort of levels of um, uh, you know, commitment, but uh what we, Becky and I both love the most is our one-on-one offering. Um, we call it one-on-one mama support. And, you know, we have focused traditionally more on like the pregnancy and birth space. But what I love about the one-on-one offering is that it can span the whole lifespan of motherhood. 
And it can be from preconception all the way through, you know, to the parenting journey. Um, And, you know, with, with both of our kind of sensibilities, we're able to kind of support from these realms of like, the psycho-spiritual to the actual like physiologic, you know, birth and, you know, wellness and care, um, and really just be guides and support systems and, um, you know, space holders. Uh, and then we have three online core, three kind of tiers of our online course. One is just like the postpartum journey and, you know, it's like the health and wellness, there's, um, healing your abdomen and abdominal wall. Uh, through through different yogic exercises, um, there's um, the education component. There's the ritual component, and then we have um, that's like a pre-recorded um, journey. And then we have two tiers of the prenatal and postnatal, um, and that's you know one that includes some one-on-one support, and then one that's just completely self-paced. Um, and those you know it's ritual yoga we talk about mythology um uh like actually birthing we educate on you know finding a provider on you know um different ways of birthing yes exactly the the physiologic side um and then the psycho-spiritual you know Mm -hmm. aspect um and you know that includes journaling and you know dream tending and all of this stuff um what is dream tending? So some, so in general, dreams are really an important access point to the unconscious in general. In the, it's so funny because people are like, oh, it's just hormones why I'm dreaming so much. I'm like, mm, it's because you're going through the most intense initiation of your life. Um, so write your dreams down, <laughs> like write those things down. Um, and tending to the images. So, you know, that could be bringing those in, that could be actually speaking to like, you know, out loud or writing to, you know, a character in the dream that could be, um, just kind of simply holding the images and noticing what comes up and what you feel. I find that it's really powerful to like take it into the relational space and not just have it in your head. Cause I know for myself, I'm like, you know, until I kind of am able to, um, uh, amplify the dream and kind of like mm-hmm. live into it a little bit. Um, because, you know, yes, it's a, it's a pathway into the unconscious. And in that way, it's a, it's a real kind of window and pathway into the soul. Um, and that can be just really helpful as you, um, process the big change and mm-hmm. changes that are going on in that journey. Um, and you know, what we, what we're really wanting to create with sacred journey is more community. It's like, we have this big kind of goal of, um, this revillaging idea and, you know, um, really coming together and circling with women and, um, you know, having a ritual container for women and, um, whether that happens in person, which we want to have a component like that, where we actually meet Mm -hmm. in a space and then, you know, or in that sort of, um, online Mm -hmm. community space, um, to really walk through the work together. So that's sort of an offering that's, you know, in the gestational um, period right now. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think we may know some ideas already, but what does being, what it, what is the words powerful and ladies mean to you separately? 
And do they change? Does their definition change when they're put together? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, powerful feels like um, sort of this unleashing of your greatest life force. Um, and it's funny, the, the ladies is an interesting one separately because it's, it feels almost like the dainty version of talking about being a woman. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it feels kind of proper and I'm thinking of like, you know, ladies having tea or something, you know, but putting them together, it feels like, um, getting more into like the meeting of minds, you know, mm -hmm. and the unleashing of our potential as women uh, together. Um, yeah, so that that sort of uh, that combination has a lot of potency to it. I love how you just described it. I may be borrowing that to update what it means. <laughs> because it's, it, it is like, to me, that's what it is, right? It's, it's, I know that together, we can solve so many big challenges mm -hmm. um, that we face and things that need to be course corrected. We just need to know each other exist often. Yes, and totally. Once you know someone exists who shares a passion that you have or you know, can clue you into something else, it can, can start to be the different characters so that you don't have to be all of them. Yeah. Like there's so much overwhelm right now about, you know, we you know, hate what's happening in regarding, you know, racism. We hate, mm -hmm. hate what's happening about the environment. We hate what's happening about our food system. Like there's all these things mm -hmm. that women are distressed about. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, fuck, how do we fix any of these things? Because mm -hmm. they're all so big and they all require a lot of different shifts. Mm -hmm. But I really believe in this idea of if we're all taking one step each, but we're holding hands, it's a completely mm -hmm. different experience. And yeah. I imagine that's what that's what you feel with your community because mm -hmm. now all these women and mothers, the instant you know you're not alone, that's the first aha. Yeah. And yes. then to have guys like you guys, it's like, oh thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. It's like um when you're isolated alone and your, you know, source of wisdom is Google, it can really feel um it's so easy to go down the road of like, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. I must be awful at this. I, you know, so in over my head, you know, so overwhelmed. And to have someone sit across from you and just say like, you are not alone. All of us are up there, you know, three o'clock in the morning with tears in our eyes, nursing our babies or, you know, feeding our babies. And we're all alone together doing that, you know, like, it's it's like the universalness yeah. of the journey. It sounds like a good excuse to have like a three AM Zoom check in, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like everybody good, everybody doing okay. Yeah. Mm, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we ask everybody on the podcast where they put themselves in the powerful lady scale. Um, if zero is average everyday human and ten is the most powerful lady possible, where would you put yourself today, and where do you think you would put yourself on average? Hmm. Ooh, okay. So one through 10, let's see. 
I'm going to maybe like give myself a six or seven. Um, it's funny because I was literally talking about this today because there's this like, um, I can feel this uh, kind of powerful matriarch within me that I have not fully grown into yet because it's, she's, I'm, I'm growing, I'm growing into her, but um, she feels like closer to the 10. <laughs> um, my average, I don't know. My average is probably more like a three or four. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's a hard thing, but you know, um, maybe that's not fair. Cause I, I would say even when I'm feeling like, um, more like inward and less vibrant and maybe even like really holding a lot of grief. I feel like there's still a lot of trust in that process and that that's actually like really important and vital. So I would say like, maybe that's my three or four, but you know, that might be still pretty powerful. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. So for everyone who is so interested in getting the support and being part of this community that you've created, where can they find you sign up? Like what's Mm -hmm. next? Like where are all the ways and places they can become a part of this? Yeah. Um, So definitely sign up for our newsletter. Um, The, our website is the sacred journey of motherhood.com. We have a monthly newsletter that goes out with um, just little, little, you know, um, dollop of, wisdom and love and support, um, geared towards mamas. Um, my personal website is called your soul love. And that has, you know, my psychotherapy and, um, that whole kind of world of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're on Instagram at the sacred journey of motherhood. That's probably our, our most, you know, accessible way of, um, connecting with us. Um, and then, uh, my personal Instagram is uh, at Molly Mitchell Hart. Um, and that's, you know, kind of an amalgamation of all the things. Um, it's a, it's probably an access point for everything, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Well, I know that the Powerful Ladies community is powerful. And often what we need is one request away. So I've been asking everyone this year, what is something that you are manifesting or wanting to create or need that we can ask the group and see who has it. Mm, wow. Hmm. That is a really good question. Um, I, I'm like, I have so many, like, uh, I feel like I'm seeing all these like way pathways that I could go with this answer. Um, I'll tell but you I, that if you think yeah. of it more, you're welcome to email me and we'll get them out too. <laughs> okay. Okay. The manifestation um, doesn't stop in the podcast. Okay. Oh, okay. Good. Okay. So n- not, not as much pressure. It's like when you're blowing out your candles, like what's that one thing you wish for? I'm like, oh, just one thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> I always think to like world peace. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Like what's the biggest thing? Ah. Um, yeah. I would say, you know, I, am a lot more comfortable in the world of like interpersonal work. And so the work of like creating a business that functions like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I I had somebody uh, once say Elska, she's um, uh, 
dear mama in my heart, um, say that a, a business that a mother runs needs to be like a washing machine. You need to be able to turn it on, you know, mm-hmm. and have it do its thing. So creating the washing machine, <laughs> the, the functionality and the sort of automation and, um, uh, and really ultimately it's about finding the people who want and need what we are offering. Um, so yeah, I would say that's, that's a big part of it. Well, the good news is that might be me to help mm-hmm. you. Yes. <laughs> I feel you that. Go. I feel yeah. that. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. my whole existence is to help people ha- have businesses that help them thrive. Not mm-hmm. ones that we can double your business without doubling your work. Mm-hmm. So how do we make the systems that you can just go and kill it only when you want to? Yes, that's... Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll be calling you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And everyone else is in that space too. Um, Because I I hear also in that request, you know, opportunities to connect with more people who are in this space who who might offer something else, but not offer what you do, but still are Mm -hmm. in the space of mothers. Yeah. Because there's so many compatible um, projects and businesses and organizations that um, there's so many collaboration opportunities, I think Mm -hmm. also. Yeah, that's a great, I, man, I would love to collaborate with, with folks for sure. Yeah. I I don't know what archetype that is, but I (laughs) I do see a theme in powerful women that we just want it to be easier. And we, we know that collaboration allows that to happen because we both want the village and the creative brain transferring and to share in the product that comes out at the end. so you have to let me know if there is that collaborator archetype or, or maybe that's just called woman, <laughs> <I'm not sure. laughs> um, but it's there. And so I think that's one of my favorite things about this community is like people wanting to share, people wanting mm-hmm. to collaborate, people wanting to help. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, if, if this is, if this can be a s- small digital village, then awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We need, we need yes. all the villages we can tap into right now. Yeah. That's what it is in our, in this modern day. It's like, we, we create our villages this way, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I could talk to you for days probably. <laughs> uh, I'm so glad that Anna recommended you and connected us. I'm so thankful that you were a yes to me and to everyone listening in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, truly has been a pleasure to, you know, hear your wisdom and learn so much from you today. And thank you for the work that you do. It's Mm -hmm. in all three of your buckets. It's Mm -hmm. all equally important. So thank you. Thank you so much. It's been such an honor. All the links to connect with Molly and the sacred journey of motherhood are in our show notes at thepowerfulladies.com. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening and leave us a rating and review. They're critical for podcast visibility. You can also leave any comments you have about the episode on Instagram at powerfulladies or at thepowerfulladies.com in the podcast episode, and we'll get back to you. If you're looking to connect directly with me, please visit caraduffy.com or cara underscore duffy on Instagram. But I'll be back next week with a brand new episode and an amazing new guest. Uh, Until then, I hope you're taking on being powerful in your life. Go be awesome and up to something you love.